Hey, Katie. Hey, Ben. So today we're going to talk about space, huh? Rocket ships. Rocket ships. Well, also what happens when they explode. Unfortunately, yes. You're listening to Linear Digressions. So this isn't the most happy of topics. Little, little sad. Yeah, this is, we're talking about the Challenger disaster of 1986 today. And this is a, now a case study that people learn about in school for how you can do statistics wrong and what can happen as a result of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, seven astronauts died on board on its way up to space, and it was entirely preventable. Yeah. Which is the really un- unhappy part. Yeah, do you remember the technical aspects of the failure? Yeah, it was the O-rings, right? Yeah. Yeah, they were connecting two parts of the ship together, uh, particularly a place where it would get very, very hot. And because it was so cold on the morning that they launched, and then suddenly it got really, really hot when they actually did launch, the O-rings that were supposed to keep the vacuum seal slipped. They became a little bit less elastic. And so as a result, they weren't able to grow quickly enough. Some air escaped, which ultimately led to the catastrophe where the actual ship exploded. Yeah. So the thing that's really striking about this to me, at least, was that they knew that the O-rings were a possible point of failure. And in particular, they knew that there was maybe potentially some temperature correlation with the possibility that they could fail, right? So it wasn't like this was a complete surprise. There was some awareness that this could be a problem. And in fact, the night before the launch, they had an engineering meeting where they discussed whether or not to launch for this exact reason. Yeah, and I, I, I remember reading that some people said, no, we should not launch. Like, we need to cancel it, which is a, a tough thing to say as an engineer to try to convince people to make that call but they went ahead with the launch anyway. They did, unfortunately. So I've read a good amount about the details of what happened. I'm curious though, what you're gonna talk about. So let me give you a little bit of an analogy. Okay. So let's suppose that you have, that you're a runner. Okay. And you're running a very uh, high stakes race. Let's say you're running against your biggest rival from high school now and you really really want to beat this guy because you know that if he beats you even just once you're never going to live it down mm-hmm. yeah let's say moreover that he's a very reliable runner and so he always runs exactly the same times so you just need to be able to beat exactly what time you predict him to run so the idea is that i know exactly how fast he will run in the future and so as long as i can train to beat that time then i can consistently beat him and you'll win the race all right that sounds good okay and so let's suppose you're, you're training, you're doing your preparation runs, and you have a hypothesis that sometimes when it gets a little bit colder, you don't run as well because you're a softie from Santa Cruz and, so I, and you've I never seen snow. Well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. We'll put you we'll put you in this in this spot because you're the person who has to figure out whether you're going to race or not. And it is true. I I was born and raised in various parts of California, and um, I think I cried when I first saw snow. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I grew up in Ohio. Uh, I think it. I, I've never not known what snow is like. Just to be clear, I, I love snow now, but good. It still makes me very cold. It is cold. I like California. And would probably uh, it would be the correct hypothesis then that running through the snow wouldn't help your times. No, it really wouldn't. I'm I'm not accustomed. So, okay. So you take a number of different data points as you're doing your training runs, and you notice that. 
there are a number of runs where you're not doing well enough to beat this guy, right? You would call these failures. Yeah. And there are some runs where you, you beat him just fine, and so that's fine, too. In There's, the cold. Well, that's what we're going to get to. All right, so if I was being unscientific about it, let's say that I write down on this log every time that I don't beat this guy's consistent time. Yeah, and now you want to study those failures to see if there's a pattern that correlates with the temperature. Okay. And so what you find is that there are failures that span over a range of temperatures, but when you fit your failures with, say, like a linear regression or something, where you're trying to see if there's an overall trend in the data, Mm -hmm. you don't particularly see a trend in your failures that corresponds with the temperature. So all your failures take place between about 50 degrees and maybe 70 degrees. Okay. So could I then, what what could I conclude from that? Well, here's, here's the real question. Tomorrow morning, it's going to be 31 degrees. You've failed occasionally at anywhere between 50 and 70 degrees, but you don't have a reason to think that those failures are necessarily because of the temperature. Like, may, who knows? Maybe they were because of some other issue and you fixed it. So do you race when it's 31 degrees? Hmm. Well, I can see I can see a potential issue if I was only recording my failures. Why is that? Well, if I'm only recording my failures, I can't necessarily correlate success to temperature and failure to temperature both. I'm only looking at half of the data, really. So let's suppose that instead of just having your seven failures between 50 and 70 degrees, you also have 120 or so successes that are between 60 degrees and 80 degrees. See, that seems like there's more of a trend there. There's a pretty clear temperature correlation, it seems. Yeah. And so then what you would say is, well, when I go from 80 degrees to 50 degrees, I go from 100% success rate down to 60 or 70% success rate. Mm-hmm. So when you go from 50 degrees to 30 degrees, what do you think is going to happen? Well, 30 degrees Fahrenheit is below freezing, and I'm very good at ice skating. <laughs> but if we let's say that we take the ice skates out of this picture, my guess is I would probably tank. I would probably not beat that guy's times. Yeah. And so as a result, if it's that cold, I don't want to run that race. Exactly. And what you just did was reconstruct the correct pattern in the data. And the mistake that the engineers made in the challenger was that the way that they looked at the data was focusing only on the failures. And there isn't a particularly strong trend in just the failures. But if you look at the failures and the successes together, you see that there is a clear trend. It's also very difficult to extrapolate from these high temperature regimes where you you know better what's going on because you have all these test runs at 60, 70, 80 degrees. A few of them fail, most of them don't. But drawing a set of conclusions at 70 degrees and then arguing that they apply at 30 degrees is a big step. Mm-hmm. So they could, they weren't necessarily tracking the temperature correlation as well as they should have because they were looking at less data and not considering successes. Yeah. And so as a result, they weren't as clear on the correlation, certainly not clear enough to to say, no, 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 30, 30 whatever degrees is too cold. Yeah, so they made, to, to put a couple bullet points on it, they excluded data that if they had included it would have made the overall trend clearer. 
The second problem was extrapolating too far. There's a lot that can happen between 50, 60 degrees and 30 degrees. And they had never had a launch down at 30 degrees. And so you really have to have a lot of confidence in all of your systems in this case, in order to say, well, the trends that hold at 50 degrees are still going to be holding at 30 degrees. Mm. There's definitely a lack of confidence that comes from going that far away from your data points. You keep drawing the line and you know, at the same slope that it used to be and I don't know, you know, maybe there's something that happens at 32 degrees or maybe there's something that happens around 40 degrees. Yeah, it can be even more dramatic than that. So as it happens, when you have data like the data that they had in this case, where imagine now you live in some perfect world where you have lots and lots of data points that go from 20 degrees to 100 degrees. Okay, that sounds nice. And so at 70, 80, 90 degrees, you're always you're always winning, everything's always fine. At 20, 30 degrees, you might always be failing. And then there's a sort of turn on curve that connects the two. From failing to success, what does that curve look like given a lot of samples? Right, and there's a mathematical function that uh, is very often used to describe this sort of turn on curve where it's mm -hmm. 100% on one side, 0% on the other, and then you connect them. It's smooth curve kind of thing. Yeah, uh, very often you use a function called a sigmoid Okay. Or a logistic regression. These that are sounds like a robot name. It, it kind of does, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so, so what you can do, what they, what they didn't do, but what statisticians have, have done ex post, is they fit this data with a sigmoid function. And so when you do this sigmoid function and use that to extrapolate back to 30 degrees, instead of just trying to draw a straight line or whatever, mm. then the failure rate they calculate depends a little bit on the assumptions that you make and exactly which data points are included, but the failure rate they get is above 90%. That at the point at which you're launching at 30 degrees, it's extremely likely that you're gonna have one of these failures. Mm, okay. So it seems like a, a good number of different failing points happened with this disaster. Not technical, but in terms of uh, predicting. So. They're, you know, throwing out data is probably a bad idea unless you have a really good reason to. Mm -hmm. The second one is making assumptions and trusting them beyond the bounds in which they're valid. So just because you understand something in one regime doesn't mean it extrapolates in a well-understood way to another regime. And a, a third thing also with this particular example with the Challenger incident was what I would call a failure of culture at NASA. Like uh, I remember reading Richard Feynman, who was one of the scientists on the committee that examined what happened after it happened. Yes. And his accounts of how a lot of the engineers didn't want it, or like didn't feel like they could talk about this. They didn't feel like they could challenge the higher ups or the people making the decisions or saying, no, this is not suitable for launch. This is a bad idea. Yeah. I and mean, there the, were a lot of people who knew it was a bad idea. And absolutely. They did anyway. Absolutely. The example we just went through is like, of undergraduate statistics problem, right? Yeah, right. Um, so they were fully capable of, of doing this. It was just that, you know, the combination of the atmosphere in the room and the selection of the data that they used meant that no one made the case strong enough, made it clear enough that it wasn't just, oh, we're taking a risk here, but we're almost guaranteed to have a huge problem. Yeah, so this isn't the cheeriest of episodes, I suppose. 
Yeah, I, but I think there's a there's a valuable lesson to be taken from this for what it's worth that machine learning is only as powerful as you allow it to be and that you have to be, you know, thinking about it like a human, not just looking at the numbers or listening to your boss, but also making judgment calls with the with sort of statistics at your back to, to back you up. Linear Digressions is a podcast about data science and machine learning, produced and recorded in the studios of Udacity, a company dedicated to education. We've got some awesome courses made by people like Katie and me in data science and other tech fields. We should also remind you that all views expressed during this program were those of the speakers and not of Udacity. This is a Creative Commons endeavor, which means you can share it any way you like. Just tell them we said hi. To find out more about this or any other episode of Linear Digressions, go to LinearDigressions.com. And if you don't mind, leave us a review on iTunes so other people get to listen to this content too. Thank you for being here. And we'll see you next time.